Um, turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. If you don't have a Bible, there is one hopefully in front of you, underneath the chair, or either directly in front of you or to the side. You can grab one of our Bibles. If so, you can turn to page uh, 1023. And if you don't have a Bible, um, I will get you one after the worship service. I would love for you to have a Bible and come see me and we'll get you a Bible. Starting at verse 11. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee as he was going to a village. Ten men who had leprosy met him and they stood at a distance and they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And when he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. And he threw himself at Jesus' feet and he thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? And then he said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. Now, I want to start with a question this morning. Does Jesus want us to say thank you to him? Sure. Does he want us to say thank you? Well, it sure seems like in this passage that he wants us to say thank you to him. One came back and thanked Jesus, and he's like, well, where's the other nine? Where are they? Aren't they here to give thanks as well? No, they're not. I want to think about that question. Um, and I want to think, why does Jesus want us to give thanks to him? Why? Is it because he gets a little grumpy when we don't say thank you? Is that it? Is it because he gets a little peeved? Is it, you know, hey, come on, I'm doing a lot for you guys. You could just give me some thanks in return, right? Is that the nature of Jesus wanting us to say thank you. Um, so I want to look at why giving thanks to Jesus is so important. Now, this story is unique. It's only found in the Gospel of Luke. It's a popular story to tell children. If you have a kid's Bible at home, very likely, this story is one of the ones written in the, in the storybook Bibles. Um, it's just kind of a fun story. There's 10 that are healed, and one comes back and praises God, and where's the other nine? And, and when we take this story all by itself, and this often is what's presented in maybe the children's Bibles, there's this message, be the one that comes back and, and gives thanks. Be thankful. Don't be like those other nine. Be the one that gives thanks. There's this nice little moral message to this story is a nice little moral message. There's nothing wrong with a little moral message. Be thankful. But if you look at the larger storyline that this little story finds itself in, there's actually a, there's a bigger thing going on this morning, and it helps us to know why it is that Jesus wants us to be thankful to him. So that's what we're going to look at today. Uh, so let's look at this slightly broader storyline that Luke chapter 17 verses 11 through 19 finds itself in. Uh, go back to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, you might not know it, is one of the most famous chapters in all of the New Testament. Why? What's in Luke chapter 15? 
Where's Mike Wilson? Prodigal son. Um, and many of you shout out, it's a prodigal son chapter. That's right. Uh, the, the story of the prodigal son makes Luke chapter 15 just one of the most well-known chapters in all the Bible. There's this, there's this parable that Jesus tells. Um, and this parable has three parts. Part one, a shepherd loses one of his sheep, and he goes out and searches to find it. Part two, a woman loses her coin. And what does she do? She searches to find it. Part three, there's a dad who loses a son. And even though the search story is a little different than the parts ones from part one and two, there's still the search. The father searches for his lost son. So why does Jesus tell this parable? Because the religious people around Jesus are wondering, why are you eating with the, fair, with the sinners? Why are you spending your time with the sinners? They're sinners after all. Why are you doing that? There's this search that's going on, the storyline of a search. Chapter 16 continues this conversation that Jesus has with the religious leaders, and the discussion turns, toward, turn toward, turns towards money. Because it turns out that the religious leaders love money, and they use it to justify themselves. See, apparently, way back in ancient time, there was a time when people actually measured the importance of, of other people's lives based on the amount of money that they had. Can you believe that? I know it's hard to believe, but that actually happened. Jesus says, you can't serve both God and money. you got to choose one. And those who choose the living God are the ones who are found. Those who choose, who serve dead money, They're the ones that really are lost, even though they might not know it. Then there's chapter 17, verse 11 says that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. Now, why is that important? Because he's going to Jerusalem so they can die on the cross for those who cannot justify themselves because they know that they need a Savior. They know they're lost. So this is the context Jesus is on this search for people who know they are desperate for him. And then you look a little bit later on, the next couple chapters, chapter 18, chapter 19, we see these stories of people who are desperate for God and his mercy. The story of Zacchaeus is in chapter 19, for example. These stories of lost people are desperate and they're looking for a Savior. See, Luke is telling The story of Jesus searching for these desperate people and bringing them into his kingdom. That's what this whole storyline from Luke chapter 15 all the way up to Luke chapter 19, on to Jerusalem, death on the cross. It's it's a story of a search party. And it's likely that Luke, who's a great writer, wrote this gospel. It's likely that Luke isn't interrupting this Great search party story to say, okay, now let me interrupt this story to tell you a moral lesson about being thankful. Let me just, a little public service announcement for you. Let's pause this story and man, just remember to be thankful, be moral and be thankful. And let's get back onto the story. It's probably not that he's doing that. Probably the story about the 10 lepers is a part of this search party story. Do you get it? This isn't some moral lesson that Luke is just pausing this awesome, amazing story just to, yeah, and by the way, be thankful and let's get on to the rest of our story. No, 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 no. It's part of the story. 
So I'm going to look at three things today. How can you tell if you're thankful? What gives you a thankful heart? And then, and then how, how, to, how to be really thankful, but not in a way that just is kind of this moral message, hey, be thankful, be a better person, be thankful. Not so that you can feel this moral principle, but rather how to be thankful um, in a way that is a part of this bigger issue that Jesus is pushing to the front here of searching after desperate people for him. Okay? So question one, how can you tell if you are thankful to God how do we live out our thanksgiving to God? What are some things in our lives that we can look for to see, okay, am I thankful or am I maybe off the path? So look at verse 15 again. One of them, when he saw he was healed, he came back praising God in a loud voice. And so maybe one thing that we can look for in our life to demonstrate our thanksgiving is our worship, in our worship. Uh, this man thanked out loud. It's kind of interesting when you look at not all of us, care about Greek words, but if you do, it's kind of interesting to look at the kind of the original language here and what it says. Um, he gave God glory in a phonus megalis, or putting the adjective where it's supposed to be before the noun, like we like to do in English. He gave God glory in a megalis, a megaphonus, a megaphonus, a megaphone, like he had a megaphone. And he's just shouting out his praise to God. That visual image. Just, oh, I want everyone to hear this. I want God to hear this. Just this great voice. Oh, God, you're wonderful. I know you've done something to change my life. And um, sometimes I worry in our churches that worship isn't done in a great voice. And I'm not just talking about loud but kind of with a heart behind it. Talking about the attitude that we worship in. You know, sometimes you ever kind of come on a Sunday morning and just kind of mumble through some words or mumble through some prayers. I worry that when we do that as Christians, we all kind of do that sometime or another. Man, it's not praising in a loud voice or with loud heart. Now, what I don't want you to get the impression of, is that I'm saying that if you aren't singing loudly, you aren't really being thankful to God, because that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that if, um, if you're not singing with your heart, if you're not singing with adoration towards God in your heart, that's a sign, am I, am I really living with thanksgiving to God? Or am I kind of just going through the motions on Sunday morning in our worship? So that's one thing maybe we can look for to see how thankful am I. Another thing is this, um, two, number, point number two here. Uh, we can look for inconveniencing ourselves, forgotten for others, as a sign we're living thankfully. Because what does this guy do? He, he comes back to Jesus. He, he is inconvenienced with, if one way of looking at it, with the rest of his day by coming back to Jesus. What made that one different than the nine? He came back. He disrupted his day. The others, and I'm sure they were glad to find out that they were healed. They, 
They didn't, they didn't come back. They just kind of kept trucking with the rest of their day. And I know they were thankful. I know they were glad. I know they were glad. Leprosy was a horrible disease. As it could kill you physically, um, you know, your, your body, you would lose sensitivity in your, your, your feet and your, your hands. And so you were much more susceptible to getting cuts and wounds and not even know about it. And infection would set in your body. It could kill you physically, but also, and probably even more so, it would kill you emotionally because you, you had to withdraw from society. You, had to, you, you, were, you were distanced from your family, the people that loved you the most. You couldn't be around anymore. You couldn't be around any people that weren't leprous because the fear was you would, you would spread your disease. Um, in that day, it, you were considered to be a threat not only physically to others, but spiritually because there was this connection of the, the, the physical disease of leprosy and the spiritual disease, and somehow they connected the two together. And so when you saw others, if you were a leper, you had to call out, unclean, unclean, I'm unclean, stay away, stay away. I'm bad for you physically, I'm bad for you spiritually. That was the life of a leper, just a horrible disease. And so when the other nine noticed that they were healed, I'm sure they didn't kind of coolly say, hey, I'm, I'm healed. That's, that's kind of neat. That's great. Hey, all right. You know, they were ecstatic. But they didn't disrupt the rest of their day. They didn't inconvenience themselves the rest of the day to go back and thank Jesus. It just wasn't worth deviating from whatever they had going on next. And I want to suggest that says less about what they had next in their day and more so about what they believed about Jesus. The fact that they didn't return probably didn't say as much about what they had to do. It probably went to their families and said, hey, great, look, I'm, I'm healed. Probably said less about what they had on their plans for the day and more so about what they actually believed in Jesus. They didn't really believe that he was worthy of going back to. There's a story in the Old Testament of King David about inconveniencing yourself for God. Um, there was a time... There are many times when David was in jeopardy. There was a time that he was going through just a, well, Israel was going through a crisis. And, and actually, this crisis was at the hand of David. But at any rate, he needed God's mercy. He needed God to step in and save them. And so he... Um, he was, he was out. He was out in the kingdom somewhere. And he said, I need to build an altar right now, and I need to worship God. I need to call upon God to save us. And so there's a man who owned this, this little land that he was around. He said, I want to I pay you for this, this spot right here so I can build up an altar, so I can make sacrifices to God and call upon God. And the man said to David, King, if that's what you want to do, here, you take it. You take this land. You take this place. It is yours. You don't have to pay me anything. And also, here's my oxen. You can use them. 
They're free. Don't pay me anything. You just use them for your sacrifices. Remember that story? And here's what King David said. He said, no, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. If it costs me nothing, that shows my thanksgiving and devotion to the Lord really is it's nothing. So as you look at your life, how large is the measure of your sacrifice to God and to others? You know, inconveniencing yourself for the benefit of God, for the benefit of others, and your service to God and your service to others? Because that's what sacrifice is. It, it always carries with it some level of inconveniencing yourself. That's why it's a sacrifice. So do you focus on your own needs or do you focus on the needs of others? Where there is no sacrifice, there really is no thanksgiving. There's the level of sacrifice demonstrating true thanksgiving. So those are a couple of indicators I thought of. How can I tell if I'm walking with thanksgiving? Look at my worship. Look, at, am I really seeing my life as about me or is it about others? Is it about me or is it about serving God? And where is that level of sacrifice that really indicates, okay, I am really carrying out this, this mission of serving God. God and serving others? That's the first question. Next question, what gives us a thankful heart? Because maybe you're saying, yeah, I, I don't know if I'm too thankful. There could be reasons for that. Just feeling kind of irritated, not thankful. What gives us a thankful heart? Well, what is it? What, what moves you to thanksgiving? Where it's not something that you have to force out of yourself. You're not, one of the things I hope you take from this message is not, okay, now I got to be moral. I got to be more thankful. I'm a bad person. I got to try harder. That's not what this story is about. What gives us a thankful heart so that the Thanksgiving just overflows? And this one healed leper couldn't help it, could he? He had to go back to Jesus. Well, here it is. Thanksgiving is brought by desperation that is answered. Because the lepers, these lepers were desperate. They heard that Jesus had healed lepers in the past. They heard stories about Jesus. They probably had not met Jesus before. Probably just heard stories about Jesus. How he had healed lepers. And here he comes. Here is their chance. And they call out to him, have pity on us, have compassion, have mercy on us, Jesus. And that's exactly what happens. They are desperate. And they needed him to step in. So we are thankful when we can say, boy, I really needed this, and I couldn't have obtained this on my own. So Jesus says, go and show yourself to the priest. Now, why did he say that? It's not so that they could go and then get healed by the priest. That's not why Jesus, he wasn't farming them out to someone else to, to do the healing. So the, the ancient Jewish law said if someone had a skin disease like leprosy and they got healed, they had to first go to the priest 
so that the priest could actually evaluate their condition to see, are you, okay, are you really truly healed? Because you, you've been a danger. Remember, you've been a danger physically and spiritually to the people. So we want to make sure that you really are healed before we kind of turn you loose back in the general public again. So they had to go to the priest so the priest could check them out, make sure that they really were healed, and then they could go about getting reacquainted, reunited with their family and their friends and society. Um, so Jesus says, go show yourself to the priest, not so, that can you, you, not so that you can be healed, but why? Because you're healed. And they left. They did what he asked them to do. He asked them to obey his command and to take him at his word, and that's what they did. And as they went, they noticed, we're clean. So their desperation was answered. But that alone doesn't lead us to thanksgiving to God, right? Because only one of those who had their desperation answered came back and gave thanks to Jesus. So it has to be more than that. What else does it take? Thanksgiving is brought by wonder as well. It's brought by wonder. So Luke deliberately tells that Jesus was traveling um, on the border between Galilee and Samaria. So geographically, Galilee is furthest to the north than Samaria and then down to Jerusalem. He's going southward, ultimately, to Jerusalem. And he's going along the, the border of Galilee and Samaria. Now, Galilee was his Jewish area, but it had a lot of Gentiles living in it. And so Jews in Jerusalem would often kind of treat Galilee with a little suspicion. Now, Samaria, on the other hand, Jews in Jerusalem would treat with utter contempt because Samaria, they had some Jewish background, ancient Jewish background, but the Samaritans mixed their little background of ancient Judaism with all kinds of other pagan beliefs. And so they were held in utter contempt by the Jews. And Jews didn't want to have anything to do with Samaritans. And so think about these lepers. I mean, they were already used to being excluded by people, right? And this one is a Samaritan, at least one of them is a Samaritan. And so um, he was doubly used to being rejected by people, right? So imagine when this man, Jesus, whom they likely never had met, answered their cry for compassion. Jesus' kindness, at least for the Samaritan, gave him such wonder, because all he's used to is rejection. He's like, oh my gosh, I hope this works. Jesus, have compassion on us. And he does. He wasn't placing any expectation on Jesus whatsoever, was he? He was like, I hope this works. Kind of a Hail Mary pass. I hope this works. I hope he has pity on me. And he does. Just filled with wonder. So we need to get this. There are two things that will kill your sense of wonder. And one is if you think that the world owes you, and two, if you think that God owes you. Those two things will kill your sense of wonder. If, you're, if your approach to life is, I am owed stuff, you won't have any wonder in life at all because you've placed all these expectations on others and God. So leading up to the story, Luke tells about two kinds of people. Those who have wonder over God's love and God's mercy and God's grace and forgiveness and, 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 and those who, who don't, who have 
feelings of entitlement to God's goodness and blessings. Two, two types of people that Luke talks about. There's a story of the prodigal son. There's two sons, and the younger son is the one that is just overwhelmed with wonder over his father's grace and mercy and love. And then there's the older son who seems to kind of expect the goodness of his father, and there's no wonder whatsoever in his life. Then there's the story of the rich man and Lazarus. You know that story where there's a rich man and there's a guy named Lazarus, this poor beggar that's kind of living outside of his the gate of his estate. And the rich man feels entitled to his wealth and he feels entitled to being unbothered by this poor little guy, Lazarus, outside of his door. And he feels no compulsion whatsoever to be generous with any of his wealth. There's no wonder in his heart over his prosperity. It's kind of like, yeah, I expect this. You know, work hard. I expect this from God. Again, in these chapters, Luke compares these two types of people. So Luke asks us to consider, who are you? Are you in wonder over God's grace, love, mercy, forgiveness? Are you in wonder over that? Or is it kind of like, yeah, you kind of expect it. I try hard in life. If you're having a hard time being thankful to God, ask yourself, have I lost my wonder over the love and grace of God? Have I lost my wonder of it? I mean, what is greater? Is it my, if you're, if you're not thankful, a lot of times it's because we're, we're let down. We, we're disappointed. We're disappointed with the way things are going. So it's like, oh, gosh, things aren't working out. You don't feel really thankful. What is greater, your level of disappointment or your level of wonder over the love and the grace and the mercy and the presence of God in your life? What is greater? And if your level of disappointment seems greater, then, yeah, it's hard for me to be thankful. If your level of wonder is greater, oh, Man, I could be going through a hard time. I could be going through disappointment, but man, I'm thankful. I'm just, I don't get God's love. He loves me anyway. Don't lose your wonder of that. I think there's still another thing that is needed for a thankful heart because still, I'm sure these other nine lepers, I'm sure they were pretty amazed with what happened. They probably weren't like, hey, yeah, Jesus said to do this. We did it. We kind of expected it to happen. And yeah, it happened. Hey, I'm cleansed. Great. Good job, Jesus, for giving us some commands. And good job, us, for following his commands. And now we can get on with the rest of our life. They probably were pretty amazed with it, too. Yet they didn't return. So how were they different from the one guy? I think it's this third point here. Thanksgiving is brought by the desire to love Jesus at its core. I think it's just kind of like this. That one man saw something in Jesus. He said, I want him. I think ultimately he sought out the giver of the gifts instead of the gifts themselves. The other nine were content just in seeking the gifts, but not the giver. And to have a truly thankful heart, You have to long for the giver of the gifts and not the gifts themselves. So Jesus told him, go and share yourself to the priests. Obey my word. They, all ten of them, they obeyed Jesus. They were healed. So get this. You can be very obedient and you can be very ungrateful. 
You can be very obedient to God and yet be very ungrateful. You can be like one of those nine who said, yeah, we obeyed God. We got what we wanted. We expected that. And now let's get on our way. You can be very obedient, be very ungrateful, really in your heart. And you can be very unsaved. All at the same time. As we will see. So I'll ask those questions. How do, we, how do we be thankful? Not so we can live out this moral rule just to be better people. Um, but rather it's just, it happens. It happens because of something going on in our heart. What made the one man different? Look at verse 19 again. Then... Uh, Jesus said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Something made this man go back to Jesus. And here it is. We are made thankful through our faith. It was his faith that Jesus was the key to life that made him go back to Jesus. Many people believe in God. They might believe that Jesus is just kind of this nice add-on. You can listen to him. You can look at him and say, hey, he's kind of a neat guy, has some great teachings, uh, maybe a good person to model your life after. But you can miss out that Jesus Christ is the key to life. He is the one to put my hope in. This one leper thought, Jesus is the key. We're not sure where the other nine men had put their hope. Maybe it was in the God of the Old Testament. I don't know. Maybe it was in some just generic idea of God. Maybe it was just in their own ability. Hey, in my own ability to be a good person, obey Jesus. And I don't know where they put their hope in, but it wasn't in Jesus. This man put his hope in Jesus, in, in the God who is revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. And he is not just made thankful through his faith, he is saved through his faith. So Jesus said, your faith, look at this verse again, your faith, uh, your faith made you well. See if that slide is up there. Next slide, look at the next slide. Yeah, your faith has made you well. Jesus says that. Now, he doesn't use the word for healed. Healed, and you kind of think he does, right? He made you well. I, I, when I'm well, I feel like I'm healed. I don't have the cold anymore, you know? But he doesn't use the word for healed. The word for healed would be therapon, which is where we get our word therapy. Jesus doesn't say that. The word he uses, your faith has saved you. Same word as in the verse, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus says, your faith has saved you. So back to the question, does Jesus want us to say thank you to him? Yes, yes, but not because he kind of gets grumpy 
feels unappreciated, gets a little testy when we're not grateful. That's not why Jesus wants us to say thank you. It's because our thanksgiving is a sign of our faith. And Jesus is on a search for those people who will put their faith in him, for people who will feel desperate for their for a need, and they know that only Jesus can can fill that need and that desperation in their life. If you were to read verse 18 in a different translation than the one we use earlier, like the New American Standard Version, New American Standard Version tries to be a little more word-for-word precise in its uh, translation. Here's what you would read. Uh, Jesus says, Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? Isn't that kind of a strange way to put that? You can see kind of like the NIV, kind of New International Version, maybe put it in a way that makes a little more sense, you know. Was he the only one who came back? No. What he said was, was no one found who returned to give glory to God? That's an odd way to put that phrase, unless what you're saying is that someone is looking Unless you're saying that someone is on a search party, on a search mission for those who have faith, who will turn to him. The word for found means to find or discover, especially after searching, like you're searching for your lost sheep or you're searching for your lost coin or you're searching for your lost sheep. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's searching for people who know that they are lost and desperate and are desperate. We think of life often as being our search for God, that we are the seekers and God is hidden. And what if we have that backwards? What if we have that backwards? What if it's God that is on the search for us? He is seeking for those who are ready to rely upon him fully. So when you get up tomorrow morning, I want you to think about Thanksgiving. I want you to think about, you know, are you, are you, are you thankful for Jesus? You might have a lot of difficult things ready for you tomorrow in your schedule. Ooh, I got some difficult things, some challenges. Can you say tomorrow morning, that may be true, but I'm thankful. I'm thankful. And I'm running back to Jesus because I'm thankful. Jesus, you've been searching for those with faith, and that's me. You found me. My faith is in you. That's a good way to start the day. And then think, how am I living out my thankfulness? You know, how how am I living out my praise? Am I loud with my praise? Is it from my heart? To what level am I inconveniencing myself, sacrificing myself so I can serve God and serve others? Live out my thanksgiving. And if you aren't quite there, if you're like, "Eh, I don't know if I'm thankful. I I don't really know how much this has kind of been in my heart or is in my heart. What do you do? I want you to think about your greatest need. What is your greatest need? 
What you need more than anything? And then I want you to remember Jesus was headed to Jerusalem. He was headed to Jerusalem so he could die for you. So that he could make you clean. Just like he cleansed those lepers so he could make you clean. So that God would find no impurity in you. So that you could be without guilt. Not one ounce of guilt. So that you could be without shame. Not one ounce of shame. God is not ashamed in you. Not ashamed of you. What is your greatest need? Is it to be declared clean and beautiful and brilliant by God, lovely by God, without any stain, and run back to that God, the one who comes to us in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear God, we, uh, we thank you that you give us the, what we need the most. You give us many things. We are so thankful that you're a generous God, a gracious God. We're in the season where we are th- thinking of what we are thankful for and help us to be thankful and help us to, to believe in you and, um, and to, to be in wonder over how you love us. And help us to remember that you give us our deepest need, connection with you, life with you, forgiveness through Jesus. If there is anyone here who hasn't responded to just that invitation of Jesus to come, to come, come to me, to receive me, pray that you would speak to their hearts right now as we think about you, as we worship you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.